We are the Front Page Pass, brought to you by Word Journeys, the literary world's hottest new podcast. Fellow publishing industry expert and author-illustrator designer, join together in bringing you the latest news, discussions, and literary-related entertainment for readers, writers, and educators alike. Well, welcome to Front Page Pass, and thank you so very much for um, joining us today on this wonderful podcast. It's been a dream come true for me to be able to talk about all the years of writing and um, and and editing and all the different things I've done in the literary literary world with um, with other people like I do anyways when I'm teaching at writers conferences. And um, the re- we came up with this podcast, uh, you know, for a number of reasons. But the title it's kind of a play on backstage pass, which of course is a coveted thing for people to have when they go to rock concerts and go backstage and see the band. Well, this is kind of the corollary of that um, front page pass would be talking as if, you know, the front page of a book that when we read the first page of a book, that's when we open ourselves to the world of whatever the book is um, describing. And so it's it's kind of a mystery whenever we start page one. So we mm-hmm. both thought it would be a really neat thing to do front page pass. Um, and and welcome, Alexa. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad we're doing this. Yes, together. absolutely. It's been, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's we, been a long we, journey, and it's yeah. uh, glad to make the transition into uh, the you know podcast world. So, and really be able to bring our audience and show them uh, what we've done for so many years, and impart some wisdom along the way, keep you guys entertained, and um, just we'll see what we can we come up with. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, and, and of course, we work together with Word Journeys mm-hmm. Literary Services, and that's who's presenting this this um, yes. podcast and. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of new things lately. Yes, we have a lot of projects and a lot to unveil as well. Um, uh, we've honestly you know, just a one-stop show. I mean, we we've edited nearly 200 published books. Um, we've worked with a plethora of clients, and you know, from ghostwriting, editing to graphic design, web design, etc. So we pretty much cover it all. And as I said, you know, it's just great to be making the transition, so we can kind of impart that you know upon everybody else and people that are in the literary world. I feel will really benefit from this. So yeah, yeah. And, and our own history is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, we've known each other for quite a mm-hmm. while, well, for about half of your lifetime, yeah. half of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really neat because we met we met um, about 13 years ago at the local library here, and I was teaching writers work writers workshops, and this very very shy but brilliant uh, writer illustrator, 15 year old girl, walks in, and the workshops were. Um, mostly for adults. I mean, we mm-hmm. had people there from 11 to 95 mm-hmm. on, in one particular workshop. And, um, you know, and you were working on a fantasy novel at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you know, so I worked with, I remember working with you and mentoring you for a number of mm-hmm. years. And then we kind of went our separate ways. Just, you know, you mm-hmm. grew up, became a woman and got into your career. Mm-hmm. But what I found really interesting is when we reconnected, I, lo and behold, you've been, you, you, the publishing industry bug mm-hmm. just bit you, and you, <laughs> yeah, you have this long definitely. career going on. So tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, so as far as my background is concerned, um, honestly, I've loved writing since I was a child. I mean, before I could even uh, actually write, you know, if I did write, it was just a bunch of letters put together because I couldn't construct a full sentence. I would draw. <laughs> I would literally draw pictures and have my relatives. I'd tell them what the story was. They'd write it down to go with my illustrations. So. It's kind of been with me since I was three or four years old and is completely stuck. And, you know, here we are today. I have worked on at least uh, 100 plus freelance projects for, is from a graphic design aspect. Um, I've been a part of 50 plus, um, yeah, I'd say roughly 50 plus um, authors, um, books. And uh, I've just done a bit of everything from editorial to the graphic design, web design. 
um, PR, marketing, and et cetera. So done a bit of everything. All right. Mm-hmm. So, and how about you, Bob? He, he has quite a bit more experience than I do, so you take it away. Well, like you, I started yeah. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was reading when I was four. Uh-huh. And um, I started writing when I was seven, um, mm-hmm. writing stories and things. Mm-hmm. And I always knew I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I mm-hmm. mean, I basically came out of the womb ready to go. Um, and so when I was 16, I started my career. So that was 45 years ago. Um, I started out as a sports writer at a local newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I was with them for seven or eight years. And then I was a, and then I was a magazine writer and mm-hmm. editor. Um, for eight years, I promoted the World Surfing Tour as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spent about 20 years as a magazine editor and writer. And then the past 20 years or so, I have really gone all in in books. Mm-hmm. Um, the exactly. one thing, I, my ultimate dream was always to write a book or write a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And, and so I finally got to start really going after that dream about a little over 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and so I've written 20 books at this point and I'm almost done with number 21 mm-hmm. which is called open mic night mm-hmm. at the last chance and um, I and besides that the other thing I love to do is teach and mentor mm-hmm. and so and I come from a family of teachers we got uh, eight generations yeah. of teachers so kind of didn't have a choice mm-hmm. there and so I um, and so I've been teaching at writers conferences around the country and mm-hmm. I also edit books and I just I what I really really love is taking someone's story the, all the time they've invested in their lives mm-hmm. and and helping them polish it to the point where mm-hmm. readers go and get mm-hmm. it and buy it. Um, so it's it's just been an absolute love for me. And then 25 years ago this year, I started Word Journeys. Mm-hmm. And it initially started as a uh, service for magazine writers because mm-hmm. that's what industry I was in at the True. time. But then I transitioned it over to books when I transitioned over to books. And, and now, you know, we have clients all over the world and, and again, yes. it, it, it comes down to, a wide array just, of clients. It, it comes, it comes down to getting to know these authors and mm-hmm. knowing, you know, and we work with a lot of first time authors too. So mm-hmm. it always reminds me of the excitement and the nervousness and mm-hmm. the anxiety exactly. and the absolute yeah. love of process mm-hmm. that I, that I had in the, you know, and I still mm-hmm. do every time I write a book. And I feel like that's what we do at large is help bring the, you know, these stories to life through our creative yeah. and editorial abilities. And there's nothing quite like that. You know, just seeing an author, something they pour their heart and soul into and being authors ourselves, you know, we can relate. But just seeing the author when they, you know, have come across the final product, yeah, yeah. they've honed their skill as, you know, an author and grown. And for us to be the ones that have helped them through that process, help make their dreams come true, it's just really a joy, you know. So, and as writers ourselves who have been through that same process. It's it's great, you know. Right. Truly encapsulates, you know, by writers for writers, it's, which is what Word Journeys is all about. That's so, right. <laughs> you know. And that's exactly what we're bringing to Front Page Pass and to you. Um, we this, this podcast is for readers as well as authors. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking a lot about books as well as um, and as well as authors. And to that point, mm-hmm. we'll be we'll be interviewing best-selling authors. In fact, several are already signed up. Oh, absolutely! To, to um, be interviewed by us on mm-hmm. this podcast. We have a colorful and, cast of people that we're inviting yeah, in. Best-selling it's... children's authors, adults. Um, Bigfoot and, enthusiasts, that'll be an interesting one for that's everybody. Right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, and um, yeah, so it's going to be a really wonderful show. Mm-hmm. We have a, and we have a, a number of segments to the show that we're going to be uh, presenting, which we'll see starting today. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So without, uh, without further ado, um, without further ado, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the past year, you know, we've had the pandemic and... <laughs> And thank you know, thank goodness for our sake of us that we work in a 
we're writers because mm-hmm. writers have actually done pretty well during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, people had to go inside, they read mm-hmm. more, blah, blah, blah. So the publishing world actually had a good, um, they had a good year. The mm-hmm. publishers that were able to uh, handle the initial financial mm-hmm. impact. So what's happening now in publishing is, is that publishers are buying up books left and right right now. It's Absolutely. a great time to be a writer trying mm-hmm. to sell a book right mm-hmm. now. Great time. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I feel like the industry is hurt somewhat, which you do have to pro, you know point out, there's more definitely more pros than cons, but it's just not being able to have live conferences where people can get out there and you know navigate a crowd and uh, promote their work and whatnot. But you know everybody's staying at home. People want to read and kind of escape you know where we're at and at life right now. And the you know whether it's the political climate of the world or the pandemic, I mean people want to open a book and want to escape from that. So I feel like uh, the industry as a whole hasn't suffered other than just. You know, in a, in a yeah. few slight manners, but I feel like it's a bl- wonderful opportunity for you know aspiring authors to either bloom or writers to that have are experienced to really hone their craft and work on getting that book published. You know. Yeah, and there's um and and there's some really good virtual conferences um, happening. You know, in the past oh, year, yeah. a, a kind of a slow growth in learning how to do stuff online with Zoom and so forth. Yeah. And programs. I mean, mm-hmm. they accelerated quickly. So now there's some really good writing events. For mm-hmm. instance, this weekend is the Tucson, um, the Tucson Festival of Books, which yeah. is the fifth largest festival in the United States. Well, they went online. So starting Friday for two weekends, there's going to be constant mm-hmm. um, interviews with some of the top authors mm-hmm. in the world and a lot of other programs, too. And then a couple other ones coming up that <laughs> I want to tell everybody about is um, later this month is Bookfest LA, which is put on by mm-hmm. uh, Desiree Duffy of Black Chateau Enterprises. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Desiree and I worked together for a couple of years on a number of great books. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's a former DJ, so she has this background. And, <laughs> yeah. and she's she's transitioned over to this wonderful festival, mm-hmm. um, which kind of goes along the lines of Tucson Festival mm-hmm. of Books. And, uh, and, and then later in the summer, there's going to be the San Diego Writers Conference. And, mm-hmm. and really, Writers Conferences all over the country mm-hmm. going virtual. Now, I think what's going to happen from what I'm seeing is in the fall, everything's going to start going live. Exactly. And so, and mm-hmm. we can't and wait. I cannot wait. We can't wait for Digital mm-hmm. Book World. Exactly. I was going to bring that up, Digital Book World. We went um, 2019, it was, and we yeah. had an absolute wonderful time and connected with some of the biggest uh, publishers and names in the game, to be quite honest. So I'm really looking forward to that one. It's coming up in September, I believe. Yeah. So um, definitely ready for things to go live. And, you know, that would be the perfect event to launch it, too. And we will be broadcasting live, too. We will. We will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so just we'll, going, we'll take people yeah. on that adventure with us. So. Yeah, just going live is so great for writers because we're all, we're all such loners by nature. And we're, yeah. we're stuck in our offices for weeks or months at a time exactly. writing and sometimes you know our, our partners or loved ones you know they they support us but they don't they sometimes don't they don't quite understand how we can just sit there for months at a time just, and be a total recluse yeah. i mean you could, you could go in a cave as long as you have the you know yeah. stuff to write with you could go yeah. for it so writers conferences are like family reunions exactly they're a blast and exactly everybody suddenly can talk mm-hmm. you find out yeah oh, really cool. <laughs> we all do have social skills no <laughs> But yeah, it's it's great. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. So I know everybody else is. We're eager to get out there. So yeah. and do it in a safe manner as well. And then we have some really big news from our own mm-hmm. shop of a couple of uh, books that are, um, you know, they're well on the way to doing very well. And we'd like to share that with you real quickly. First of all, this uh, the book I wrote with Stevie Salas, who was Rod Stewart's lead guitarist in the late '80s, um, called "When We Were the Boys." We we wrote this memoir five or six years ago, and it was published in the United States then. Well, Stevie 
in addition to being pretty well known in America, is a top shelf rock star in Japan. In fact, his he and his uh, partner so uh, Soji Inaba um, have are the number one selling artist in Japan right now. So we were picked up last year by a Japanese publisher. Mm -hmm. And when we were the boys came out about a month ago in Japanese, and I don't know if you can mm -hmm. see this, but it is in Japanese, and I can't read I can't read the subtitles either. Um, <laughs> but it we went number one, and we were number one on the Japanese charts for three weeks. This most recent week we dropped to number three. Still but I got to tell you, it's a thrill to be associated mm -hmm. with anything that's number one. Um, and I think it's kind of ironic that two Americans are number one in Japan. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So it's been a real, it's been really interesting being number mm -hmm. one for three weeks. I mean, that's, that's the first for me. We were number one with Just Add Water, mm -hmm. the Clay Marzo story, mm -hmm. but that was only for a week. So mm -hmm. this has been kind of fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I really think that Stevie Salas would be a phenomenal guest to have on considering, you know, we're both musicians and everything. That would yeah. just be great. I feel like it would probably diverge from literary talk to music talk. So oh, it would. We'll, yeah, we'll branch off and have a music podcast from this, well, but yeah, I mean, and he's yeah. just an incredible uh, musician, and just you know the background itself. I would definitely recommend the book. It was it, it's yeah, and the way a we did tale. this, the way that we did this book is he wrote mm -hmm. a lot of it on an iPhone and an iPad, and then I yes. took it in. I was going to ask wrote, about the method. He wrote chapter overlays, mm -hmm. and then I would and then I would expand the chapters. Mm -hmm. However, I learned something from him, and it mm -hmm. took me a little while to figure out what it was. He he would send me these stories in little. 300 400 500 mm -hmm. word bites so you know so three to four minutes if you're right. speaking and i you know and i'm just going god how does he how's he containing these stories mm -hmm. like this because he's never written a book mm -hmm. and he's not he, he 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 doesn't really consider himself a writer although now he a lot he's doing movie scripts and everything else oh now, yeah so he's he certainly into is. everything but what it what it what it happened is that stevie's um you know stevie's made 12 solo records mm -hmm. um, plus the novicellus plus the work he did with rod mm -hmm. stewart and He's a he's a great he's a really great songwriter. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he 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 moved songwriting skills right over to book writing skills. Mm -hmm. So we were getting in and out of these really good stories yes. in three to four minutes reading time, mm -hmm. and it was just really cool to watch a musician mm -hmm. just seamlessly do that. Mm -hmm. And it's really neat. You think there's just such a contrast between those two, but it's amazing yeah. how he was able to take that mindset and from him writing songs and everything else into you know literary format. Yeah. Which made it easier for you, and I mean, he wrote that when he was on the road, basically. Well, yeah, he was he was uh, designing a new um, series of signature mm -hmm. guitars in Germany, and he was okay. he was uh, he was working on the movie that became Rumble, mm -hmm. which won a ton of awards yeah. from Sundance to Cannes to everything mm -hmm. else. Yes, and, absolutely. And, yeah, so he was on the road almost the whole time, mm -hmm. and then we he he'd come into he'd come into California, mm -hmm. and we'd sit up till three four in the morning putting everything mm -hmm. together, and then off he went. Mm -hmm. for, Two more weeks. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's we, just kind of the thing you yeah, get when you have a, yeah. a variety of clientele come in or just, you know, people you work with. It's yeah. just, it's great. Just all the characters that you really um, end up hanging out yeah. with. So. But meantime, you've had something going on. <laughs> yeah. So recently we have launched or up for pre-order, at least Priestess of the Lost Colony by Brandon, author uh, Brandon Pilcher. And um, it's it's quite interesting. I designed the cover, and he is a brilliant illustrator. So he illustrated the characters and everything. I'm sure we'll end up uh, putting a bigger version of that up on the screen for you guys to look at. And I highly recommend you would get it, of course. So basically, his book, it is set in ancient Greece 3,500 years ago. And it's all about, you know, female empowerment, to be quite honest. Um, it's about a headstrong Egyptian priestess, her brother, and their sacked colony. And it does consist of a res rescue mission when the priestess lover falls prey to the tyrannical antagonist. 
Um, uh, she and her brother lead a mission to rescue her captured people, and they encounter many perils along the way, and the wrath of a very angered uh, god or goddess throughout the book. So it's a very intriguing read, and just a great twist because a lot of medieval fantasy tends to um, happen in a more uh, European setting, and this kind of branches away from that and really delves into magical realism. And uh, I just feel that Brandon Pilcher did a very excellent job on the book. Um, what would you say about it? Well, I, I this makes my heart skip, mm-hmm. honestly. Yes. Uh, because Brandon's a little bit different uh, type of author that, mm-hmm. that I've ever worked with. First of all, Brandon's autistic. He lives on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And we spent about two years working together on this mm-hmm. book. Um, and he, he just has such a great gift of visioning things. Absolutely. Obviously, being such a good illustrator. Um, and and he always wanted to write a book, but when we first mm-hmm. started, he really was he really hadn't yet written more than one or two chapters mm-hmm. of anything because he was just doing short stories. Um, but he did the work, and he did a great job. He did phenomenal, and it's it's just a phenomenal thing for him to finish this book. So when so it's going to be published in early May by Open Books mm-hmm. Press, and right now it's for pre order on Amazon. Yes. like you said, hopefully everybody gets it because. This is really an incredible effort by a young man who hasn't exactly had all the social advantages mm-hmm. in the world to Very this true. point. But but now you know he's going to come out as a break as a breakout author. author, and um, you know we've got a great launch event set up in Southern California for him as soon mm-hmm. as we get to go live. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I I'm just so thrilled, and the, the cover that you and he put together, I just thought mm-hmm. was brilliant. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I certainly yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. So. So now we'd like to talk about books that are out in our new series, Chart Toppers. Alexa? Mm-hmm, yeah. So one book that I like in particular is uh, The Ridge Walkers by author Greg Walter. And it is he is a veteran, uh, an author, a historian, and a Bigfoot enthusiast, which I did mention previously, in, you know, as far as a guest we may have on here, which is, will be very exciting. But um, he has vast knowledge on the, the subject. Um, his book, he does an excellent job weaving in uh, Indiana Jones-esque um, action and adventure and just uh, intrigue into like kind of metaphysical events. Weaving that into kind of, I would say, a philosophy one-on-one class is what it feels like in some parts. But he does an excellent job. While those two things may seem like they have a contrast, Greg Walter, the author, he does an excellent job at weaving those two together. And also, amid all the action um, throughout the book, he um, ties in a really strong environmental message, which I feel can be applied to today. Because a lot of things that he discussed in the book, um, just concerns about environmental issues, actually have happened now. So, um, it's rather interesting. But it is chock full of adventure, and um, he, like I said, he just seamless, seamlessly weaves these two together. So um, I'm going to read a little segment of his book, that one that I like, that I feel like kind of encapsulates everything that I just explained about it. But um, it is chapter 35, Skellens. Um, the fog that had forced two hunters to pursue on foot receded down the ridgeline, but still drifted eerily through the forest, where I was trying to protect the young kid and small person from the third hunter. Both creatures were temporarily pinned down, preventing preventing the hunter from walking over and shooting us. My sidearm was trained on him as I nestled behind three large rocks. However, I knew the shooters on the ridge would get a clear shot at me when the fog finished receding, which could happen at any time. I wanted to buy time so the two I cared about could get clear. At a rock outcrop on the contact zone, with a small sitting spot faced southwest, the fog receded, the rising moon's first light appearing as a beam on that spot. Suddenly, as if on cue, rose two giant 15-foot bluish-gray skeletal monsters from the ground. They stepped through a sort of veil near the flat rock seat. Skeletons. 
stalking skeleton killers, roamed the forested ridge lines to search out any who opposed the ridge walkers and their allies. As the thin red line faded out on the horizon, the full moon rising, but mostly blocked out the ridge, an energy pulse emanated outward. The skeletons faded into the fog and trees, searching, heading upslope where Pat Smith was behind some rocks looking for a shot. I knew I was exposed and down to my last shot. I carefully retreated to where the small person and the kid were hiding. Kurt watched from his binoculars, instructing Pat through his headset as visibly aloud. Kelly was also looking for a clear shot, but fog and darkness hindered his ability. Floor followed quickly with me, but then broke off to check sacks while the fog set in, allowing for better movement. I snuggled Sig in my arms, holding him tightly as I ran and approached the shelter in nearby rocks. Suddenly, a volley of bullets whizzed by my head and I struck by the rock behind us. One bullet grazed my belt and rock fragments hit my head, barely missing Sig. Angry at missing, Pat sharpened his aim and lined a headshot at my head. Though through the mist, a figure rose up behind Pat. Kurt's view was a little blurred, but he saw an apparition rise up. Pat, get out of there. Something bad is right behind you, he yelled into Pat's earpiece. What? I do not see. Both skeletons were in full view, almost glowing with their ferocity. Pat turned and shot at the same. When the weapon was knocked out of his hand, he was lifted and thrown like a rag doll, 20 feet, landing in a manazita bush. One skeleton hopped over, retrieved him, and dragged him toward the place where they emerged. The other headed for the ridge for Kelly and Kurt. And basically, there are a lot of um, names mentioned, a lot of different characters mentioned, but um, Sig happens to be the baby Bigfoot, which a lot of billionaire-backed hunters are hunting, and the, um, and the protagonist, Alex Boldway, is in the middle of rescuing. So I just felt like that passage was really neat and just uh, kind of sums up Greg's style of writing and how well he does it painting a picture and, um, you know really illustrates what he's going for there so and, and with uh, rich walkers you you and he have had quite the run of podcasts we have podcasts yeah i know yeah. it's yeah. yeah he's been on at least uh 10 different ones so wow. far so wow, yeah he's wonderful. he's doing well in the publicity game that's for sure and do we mm -hmm. can we expect to see him on ours you think oh yeah i would say yeah. so yeah i already talked to him about it and greg walter he said he would love to be on it so as soon as he's done with these others so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah he would he definitely wants to, to join in awesome. and talk about his book and you know, even outside of just his book, he just has some vast knowledge that will really leave you intrigued and kind of jaw-dropping stuff that he's, you know, accumulated over the years. So, yep, I'm really looking forward to it. Right. So, and what about you, Bob? Let's well, talk about it. Big I contrast know. in the genres here. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't get more of <laughs> no. a contrast, right? Okay, yeah, Alexa, this is quite the contrast from The Ridgewalkers. This is a book <laughs> called Blood Money by Chris Rydell. And Chris was the CEO of a very successful medical lab called Hunter Laboratories in California. He became a medical whistleblower, and the reason why is because the two large companies, LabCorp and Quest, mm -hmm. were were defrauding um, were defrauding state mm -hmm. and federal government funds and taxpayers. Mm -hmm. Therefore, through the way through this pricing scheme, which is far too complex to describe in a minute here, yeah. but, but anyways, so Chris um, has spent <clears throat> the last fourteen years. Um, he and his and his legal partners have been spent the last fourteen years really uh, trying to root this out and mm -hmm. filing suits, they're called Ketom suits, against um, these two companies and others across the country wherever they're propagating this fraud. Mm -hmm. And to date, they've returned, um, they've returned more than $500 million to mm -hmm. taxpayers yeah, through, vast amount. through the summaries, uh, or through the settlements, excuse me. And so, um, this book came out in November, mm -hmm. and it went to number three on Amazon on its in its category. And it's really shocking because we mm -hmm. don't really think about when we go get a lab test, and everybody has to get them mm -hmm. sometimes. We really don't think about a five or ten dollar lab test being billed back to the 
to the Medi-Cal or, or Medicaid at $140 each. But exactly. that's what some of these that's what some of these companies do. Mm-hmm. And they defraud taxpayers to the tune of billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do is I just I'm just gonna read a little bit of the prologue and just to give you a taste uh, of Chris. And he's a mm-hmm. Chris is a wonderful guy. In fact, if you want to get another uh, taste of this book. Um, his YouTube book trailer, which is produced by Emmy Award winning mm-hmm. documentarian Ken Kibo, is absolutely wonderful. Oh, it and it's is. right there on YouTube. So all you, all you have to do is uh, mm-hmm. search Chris Rydell Blood Money, mm-hmm. and it's a great it's a great two yeah. minute trailer. Real quickly, tell who is on whose quote is on the front of the, the yeah, book cover. Yeah, it's pretty I, cool. I, I mean, yeah, and and the biggest case that Chris um, won was in twenty. 11 in California, yes. it was a $240 mm-hmm. million dollar settlement against LabCorp, mm. and um, the Attorney General for California at the time who was overseeing that whole process was mm. Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. who's now the Vice President of the United States. So, um, yeah, so she's been involved with this mm-hmm. as well in the past. Um, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit of the prologue. Blood Money is the story of how a Silicon Valley CEO became a fraud fighter. It, it is an insider's look at the David versus Goliath struggle between a whistleblower seeking to save his company and stop taxpayers from being ripped off and healthcare companies engaged in massive fraud. Along the way, it exposes what it is like to work with government prosecutors. I lived the Silicon Valley dream, founding my first company at age 24, then starting two others while I was still a young man. The first two companies revolutionized how bacterial infections were diagnosed and treated, saving hundreds of thousands of lives around the world. My third company, Maris, jumped to another level entirely. From 1988 to 1990, it experienced the fastest growth among 2,000 labs in the industry and delivered the highest pre-tax profit margins. But in 1991, I achieved the ultimate Silicon Valley aspiration by leading the company through an initial public offering. A month after the secondary public offering, Business Week selected Maris as the 40th best small business in America out of over 20 million registered small businesses. <laughs> we were deeply honored. We decided to celebrate our success in the best possible way. A few months after the SPO, I retired after 22 years in healthcare. I was 45 years old. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> For someone who grew up in a lower middle class family, you can only imagine how proud I felt. During the 1990s, however, two labs dubbed the Blood Brothers by Wall Street grew to dominate the industry, Quest Diagnostics and Laboratory Corporation of America, or LabCorp. When my wife, Marcia, and I came back into the industry 11 years after retired, the California laboratory industry had changed. Instead of walking into a level playing field for all labs, what we found was a rigged deck, a broad pattern of corruption, kickbacks, price gouging, and naked profiteering. This made it impossible for honest competitors like our Hunter Laboratories to survive. Even worse, I discovered that hundreds of millions of dollars were being stolen from California's Medicaid system. This corruption was anything but a victimless crime. Beyond California's taxpayers, many others were getting harmed, namely California's oldest, sickest, and poorest. What I found was that the laboratory testing market in California, dominated by the Blood Brothers, had devolved largely into profiteering by the greedy at the expense of the needy. I never imagined I would become a fraud fighter. My closest friends, also successful businessmen, despised anyone who sued corporations, particularly whistleblowers. This held throughout corporate America, which views whistleblowers as subhuman obstacles instead of principled people who stand for integrity and fair business and employment practices. Was I about to become someone they despise? 
and then it goes <laughs> it goes on from there. Um, in Blood Money, Chris he he takes us through probably about twenty different cases out of all of those he's done, mm-hmm. and it reads um, it, it reads like a crime thriller. Mm-hmm. I mean, a absolutely crime thriller. I mean, and this gets really dangerous to the point where he had to hire a secret service mm-hmm. agent to advise he and his family on how to protect themselves mm-hmm. because some of these companies, you know, when you're suing a company for hundreds of millions of dollars, oh. they're not going to play back. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so. it can pose a, you know, But anyways, yeah, so Blood Money's done quite well since it came out, and it really is an eye-opening read for anybody mm-hmm. who gets a lab test, which is mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. So anyways. But, and it's great yeah. to see him unveil that level of corruption and, you know, see justice for it, for yeah. all the people that, you know, lost their money. So yeah. it's yeah. it is. Yeah. Yep. You know, one of the things we, we do in our work mm-hmm. and that we like to bring to the show that I think is always fun to listen to when I listen to podcasts is to offer some craft tips for mm-hmm. working writers. And this doesn't necessarily mean just book authors. It means people that, you know, journalists. Oh, absolutely. Uh, columnists, um, educators, for mm-hmm. sure, that they can pass on to their students. And um, since our since our podcast is called Front Page Pass, mm-hmm. I thought we'd start off by talking about the front page of a book. <laughs> exactly. Um, and a week ago, I was down in uh, I was down in Tennessee with Melissa Jenkins, who's uh, our, our lead editor on mm-hmm. our team. And we were going we were we were at Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. um, which was really nice because I hadn't been in a bookstore for a while because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we so we were going through the bookshelves. And I know a couple of people walked by just wondering what we were doing. We were literally flipping through <laughs> dozens of books, you know, and all we were doing is looking at page one. And and um, and that's a tip that I learned a long time ago, but it's a great way when you're writing a book or you're starting the first page of anything, mm-hmm. it's a great way to get your mindset on how you want to start it. Exactly. Um, like, for instance, when I read, when I, <clears throat> when I do this exercise, which I do every time before I write a book, I go to the bookstore and I'll, I'll read maybe 50 to 100 mm-hmm. page ones. And that's the only page I read. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you can learn from page one is immense because page one has to get the reader into the story. It has it needs to introduce a character or the situation. It needs to set a scene. And it also needs to set the tone or the voice of the story. All of that gets accomplished in page one. Mm-hmm. And I know when I'm editing people's books, we sometimes will spend... You know, we will sometimes rewrite page one, 10 or 15, 20 times to get it right mm-hmm. for that very reason. Because when you're, you know, when you're presenting a book to try to uh, have it acquired by mm-hmm. a publisher, it has got to be right. I mean, they, they don't have time to hopefully get to the point where it gets right. You have to bring them in right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So one of the tips I always offer, I always offer to writers is to um, go to the bookstore, mm-hmm. get, in, get in the stacks or go to the library either mm-hmm. way. And read about fifty page ones, and then and then look at how the author started the story because mm-hmm. because when we start our stories, whatever we're writing, we have there's an infinite number of ways you could start the book. You literally have millions of possibilities, mm-hmm. but and, but you got to find the one that really mm-hmm. connects. Very true. And this is a really neat way for um, us to be able to you know to learn how to connect mm-hmm. with that and to set the tone and so forth. So, and to see what will pull the uh, the person reading it yeah, in. I mean, yeah. if they're picking it up off the shelf and just you know open it first glance, they're gonna. Most people do typically read the first page. So it also helps train yourself as an author. You know what's gonna what what's what are you writing from your from your heart, I guess. But at the same time, you have to make sure that the first page is gonna grab yeah. the reader and pull them in and make them want to read it and you know get buy it and become a fan. A, yeah, so. you make you make a really good point because it is a major part of the buying decision. Absolutely. What 
when when people go to the bookstore to buy a book, and no one thinks about this, but, the, mm-hmm. you know, but this has been borne out by a lot of research, fifty percent of the buying decision is the is the book cover. It is, it, yeah, fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So for authors that authors that don't spend the time who are self-publishing or indie published Mm -hmm. who don't spend the time to get a good cover design Mm -hmm. done um, they are really um, not doing themselves Mm -hmm. a favor because 50 Mm percent of the buying decision is the cover but another 10 to 15 percent is page one Mm -hmm. and and then you know I'm almost willing to say more so and then obviously the the entire that carry out throughout the entire book because there really is I would willing to say that it's tantamount you know um, the cover you want to make sure that it completely encapsulates what's going to be in the book what's going to be within its pages and make somebody you know be eye-catching enough that someone will pick it up off the shelf and being somebody who has uh, done graphic design I can't tell you how many covers that I have designed I feel like that is of equal importance you know it's it's debatable but i would say equal importance to what's uh when they do open it what's on the front page and you know if you have a killer combo you you pretty much have a, a new fan or you're gonna have someone buy your book and read it all the way through so. yeah and the cover and page one is mm-hmm. you just nailed it you said the yeah. right term for it the kill the the cover plus page one is the killer combo yeah exactly it really is so. and, and if you if you're an author, you know, if you feel like page one isn't right, if it's mm-hmm. just not feeling right, keep rewriting mm-hmm. it. you got to get that right. Mm-hmm. It, it's an absolute necessity. And I know at writers' conferences when when editors and agents, when we sit down mm-hmm. with writers, you know, writers, there's a part of the, each conference where they get 15, 20 minutes to mm-hmm. pitch us one-on-one on their story. Exactly. Whether they're looking for an agent or a publisher or an editor to mm-hmm. polish up their book, they got to pitch that and then... Mm-hmm. And, all you know, virtually all the time, they send in ten pages of their work mm-hmm. for us to read ahead of time, and it's usually chapter one. Mm-hmm. And so, chapter one, it just has to grab mm-hmm. you. That's all there is. And those to two it. factors yeah. really complement one another. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that's how it happens. Yeah. So it's it's so anyways that so that would I'd strongly advise writers all the time. You know, do, you can never do too much to page mm-hmm. one. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And don't don't be lazy with. Um, with the design as well. I mean, because like you said, there's it's kind of sad, honestly. And it may seem shallow, but it tends to be human nature where people will. Um, and w- of course, I am talking. I'm not talking about by like by word of mouth. If someone tells you go read this book, it's excellent. It doesn't matter what the cover is going to look like. You're going to read it. But it is really really important. Like if you're walking, you know, through a bookstore, and I feel most writers, all of us do that. I mean, so hey Alexa, we made it. We made it through. The we first did. Show. We <laughs> it off. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's so it's so interesting when. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about something you want to do for some, in my case, for so many mm-hmm. years, and and then you, you know, then it happens and mm-hmm. it kind of goes like a blur. But hopefully, you know, <laughs> yeah, it felt like a blur on this yeah. end, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, same here. But yeah. honestly, I've enjoyed the the conversation, and I feel like we'll just this show will get better as time goes on, and you know, we build our audience and everything. So. Well, plus mm-hmm. we are in future in future episodes starting very soon. We're mm-hmm. gonna have some great guests, excellent but, guests. Yeah, you know, we're gonna have best-selling children's authors mm-hmm. Sherry Kent and Derek Kent mm-hmm. um, and and Sherry's been on Amazon number one mm-hmm. for various for mm-hmm. like 10 different books um, we're gonna have them um, we will be having Stevie Salas mm-hmm. on you had mentioned that earlier and we have a number of different authors we've got um, we've got top-selling Christian mm-hmm. author Regina Merrick she's coming mm-hmm. on board in a couple of weeks plus we've got two of the hottest uh, new novelists um, that are up and rising mm-hmm. in America, Tanya Brooking and Claire Eisenthal. Exactly. And I think we might want to bring them in together because they are, they are <laughs> yeah. great when they're together. Yeah, great so, personalities. So we'll, they really uh, play well off so each we'll, other. We'll bring them in, but we have a lot of guests. Mm-hmm. And as, as you mentioned, we're going to be we're going to be mm-hmm. broadcasting live from different mm-hmm. 
writing events over the course of and the that, years. And that's what's fun about running through so many genres is that you get so many different personalities too, you know, yeah. as guests. So it's, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be yeah, a blast. And, so and stick know, with it. As you said, Greg Walters agreed to come on the show. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and I'm sure we can get Chris yeah. Rydell. Chris Rydell, yeah, he'll be interesting. He's an incredibly interesting man. Absolutely. Um, but what we'd like to do right now is, is leave, the sh- leave you with the New York Times top five bestseller list, both fiction and nonfiction, because as we mentioned before, uh, front page passes for readers as well as authors. And, um, and so these are the five, these are the top five in fiction as of this mm-hmm. week. Uh, right now, number one is A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Moss. And then numbers two and three, and this is unusual, but numbers two and three in the New York Times top five are by the same author. How is that for scoring? Mm -hmm. Um, The Four Winds and Firefly Lane, both by Kristen Hanna. Um, Number four on the list this week is Relentless by Mark Greeny. And number five on the list is The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. Mm -hmm. And New York Times top five bestsellers in nonfiction category is How to Avoid a Climate Disaster by Bill Gates. Um, Just As I Am by Cecily Tyson, The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, Walk in My Combat Boots by James Patterson and Mark Eversman. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, so I apologize if I am, and um, cast by Isabel Wilkerson. So, all very interesting reads there. Truly. Yeah, and I saw mm-hmm. I saw Bill Gates on 60 Minutes a uh-huh. couple of weeks ago, and that's yeah. a fascinating book because mm-hmm. he's basically talking about um, how to avoid a climate disaster, mm-hmm. and that's by rebuilding the economy, focusing on mm-hmm. the things we need to, you mm-hmm. know, for climate uh, for climate change to combat exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, just as I am, I mean, Cicely Tyson just recently passed at yes. the age of 97, and she's an she's an iconic actress, dancer, Absolutely. singer, just um, I, I would say probably three quarters mm-hmm. of the top African American entertainers and other entertainers in the as well, in yeah. the country have been influenced in one form or another mm-hmm. by her. And um, and walking my combat boots, I'm really looking forward to reading that book because James Patterson's one of the most mm-hmm. prolific novelists in the last fifty years, and that's what the book's about. It's a writer mm-hmm. memoir. Yeah. So, um, okay. And hopefully, eventually, fingers crossed, one day we'll be reading my name on here. But we'll see about it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm ready to <laughs> no, go to number one, but in this country, Look, we're working for it. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it, but no. Um, yeah, they're all really intriguing reads. I yeah. would recommend checking them out. So. So anyways, we'll wrap it up with a, with a lovely quote that you've come up with, Val. Yeah, um, I love this quote. It, it mm-hmm. was, it's from Michael Mead's The Genius Myth. If every person has natural gifts and innate talents, then the true nature of education must involve the awakening, inviting, and blessing of the inner genius and unique life spirit of each person. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, isn't that what a great book is? Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. That sums it up pretty much. So. All right, well... <laughs> Um, I've enjoyed this, it. This has been fun. Mm-hmm, it has been fun. Yeah. We have many more coming, so stick That's with right. us. Okay, and thank and, you all uh, very much, and have a great day, mm-hmm. and happy writing and reading. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us at Front Page Pass, where we present everything from new titles to rocking interviews with best-selling authors and publishing experts, writing and editing tips, the latest on the bookshelves for readers, and live coverage of writers' festivals, conferences, and author signings. Our mission, to serve up the